<laughs> yeah, when I was studying psychology, I was psychoanalyzing everybody. Me, Matt, the girls. If we would have had a dog, it would have had a temperament. <laughs> You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello and welcome to Leadham to Life. This is Emily and I am joined today by somebody that I am super excited about. Uh, Tamer, we have a mutual friend. You are friends with Matt, Megan and Zach Krieger, right? Correct. Yes. Are you a godfather for one of their kids or something? Flannery, the oldest one. Uh, yeah. The oldest one. Okay. Which she's like the coolest kid ever, by the way. Mm-hmm. She came over to our house um, a couple weeks ago and afterwards, apparently she left and she said, that Claire, who's my daughter, she is an interesting character or something. <laughs> or like, yeah, I think she called her an interesting character. That Claire, she's just an interesting character. I just thought it was That's hilarious. Awesome. So Tabor, tell us a little bit about who you are. You and I met several years ago um, and have just kind of recently reconnected, but give us in a nutshell kind of who you are, what you do. Yeah. So I think last time I talked to you was a little less than 10 years ago. Have I changed uh, at all? <laughs> Uh, look about I mean, the same. I hope so. I mean, <laughs> in a good way. I think yes. we all should change. <laughs> Amen. Um, no, we met doing ministry, so that hasn't changed much. We're still doing ministry in, in our own ways. Um, I graduated from South Dakota State University uh, after that summer and joined Focus as a full-time missionary with the Fellowship of Catholic University students. And I, uh, my first, my first assignment was at Northern Arizona University which was a beautiful place it's in Flagstaff, Arizona. Beautiful. Um, at the time I was going through some very serious personal issues, things that I, I had to work through. No one else could do it. And, uh, there was, uh, a need for mental health care that wasn't met. Uh, so I'll leave that at that. I'll kind of get to, okay. How I got so to I want, yeah, I want to come back to that. Yeah. So did focus, uh, in Arizona, and then they transferred me for my second year to Texas State University, San Marcos. And it's, uh, it's actually pretty close to Austin. You know, it's actually in between Austin and San Antonio, almost smack, smack dab in the middle on, on that um, I-35. As I'm looking out my cold, snowy window, all of this is sounding fantastic. Continue. Yeah, San Marcos was awesome. Uh, and my second and third year were very much healing years for me. Oh, cool. Um, and led into some of the, the wisdom that I try to, to live by still to this day. Just, uh, it was personal, you know, I need to figure out who I was, all the identity crisis kind of thing. Um, that I had my first year, well, it was, it was very much healed yeah, through, through grace and through good friendship. Yeah. And my second and third year of focus. So Ooh, okay, I didn't want to do it forever. As well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yep. I didn't want I didn't want to go, uh, any further with focus. I, in fact, decided to, use my degree. My degree was in construction management and I uh, found a job in Austin working uh, for a small company that does residential renovations. And, and you know, it was not good. Huh. <laughs> I, it was really toxic situation. Um, I'm was that disappointing still, for you? Oh, extremely. Uh, it was very disappointing. I was very green to the world because in focus, you're doing ministry. You're with like-minded people. You're you're working on, you know, evangelization and and uh, you know, bring people 
closer to Jesus Christ and, and that's it. And, and yes, yeah, sure. You have your fair amount of conversations with people that don't believe. And those are always very interesting, but working in the world with people who had, were not college age, people that were adults and with very real problems, very real addictions and, and misconceptions. And uh, I was just treated like a, a child. I was always guilty until proven innocent. They possibly resented for having a degree, but being very green. Like, mm-hmm. what good is a degree if you're gonna not if you're gonna have to learn everything while I was here? Well, yeah, it was hard. Uh, but in the during that time, which I was very confused, why is this happening? During that time, I met my now wife Elizabeth. She was fresh out of college, a few years younger than me. Moved to Austin to work, and she was living with the missionaries in Austin. So since I was pretty tight with those missionaries because we would do stuff as a team, I uh, met her and we, we started dating. Nice. Okay. Uh, that could be a podcast in itself, but we'll skip over that for now. I'll, no, we'll come show. back to it for another episode. <laughs> okay, exactly. Uh, yeah. So we started dating and I quit that job like two minutes, two months after. Um, I've never done that before, but it was one person in particular who I did not get along with. And it wasn't my boss. I'm actually still pretty friendly with him. Um, but left, was living unemployed with uh, one of the missionary guys in Austin, looking for jobs everywhere, couldn't find anything. Well, uh, one of my friends, uh, her name is Megan Mueller. She was a missionary up in UT Tyler, which is in Tyler, Texas, about two hours east of Dallas on I-20. They said, we need a campus minister like that. And I was like, oh man, back into ministry. All right. So I drive up there, not knowing what to expect and very clearly knew like, okay, this could be a really good opportunity for me. And I had been dating Elizabeth long enough that we knew we were going to continue seeing each other talking. And uh, so we dated long distance for a year while I was doing that job. And then we got engaged long distance while I was doing that job. And sometime in there, I met a student who was in this clinical mental health counseling program and as she was telling me about what she was learning I recognized a voice in my heart saying hey this is this is better this is probably going to be better from you for you you know this is actually what you're called to and was it was it was really God that had I hadn't really come thought on about counseling yeah okay but I, what I really liked was the discipleship element the building element of focus mentoring so those people of you that know yeah. It's like win, build, send, right? You win people over, you build them up, and you send we them out send to them do out. the same. Yep. And yep. that's just the basic model for discipleship. Well, I really liked the build segment of it. Oh, okay. Really liked that. Working with people about, I love concepts. I love, I'm long-winded. I love talking things through from a big picture point of view. And as I was listening to the student talk about counseling, I recognized a concept. And as she, she was, you know, practicing Catholic, trying to do well and be, be a good, faithful person. And that if she could do this, then I could certainly do this. And going back to that first year in focus, what I needed Which didn't is the exist. fellowship of Catholic University students for anybody <clears throat> that might not be familiar with, with yeah. that we mentioned. So my times. first year as a missionary, when I was really suffering emotionally and spiritually, I needed, I wanted a Catholic male counselor. That's what I wanted. Mm. It didn't exist. Not, at least not, it wasn't readily available. Mm-hmm. So I recognized a opening. So somebody had said, it's easy to complain, but it's harder to have an actual solution. 
And so I said, well, what if I became what I was missing? And that became an option for others. So you decided to, to go back to school for counseling for mental health. Uh, is it clinical psychology, counseling? Clinical mental health counseling. Okay, so, all of the above. Okay, yes. so okay, so then you, you just said that whole, you wanted a, a male counselor kind of when you were in college that didn't exist. Is the primary demographic now that you desire to serve uh, men, dads, young young men, everybody? What's did, did that impact who you most enjoy working with now or who you desire to work with now? You, you know, my scope of interest has expanded uh during my program let me say this going into my program i had zero desire to counsel couples okay zero didn't care maybe i was daunted by it i just wasn't really interested as an elective i had a choice between couples counseling or play therapy and i just didn't i don't know not that working with kids is bad i do i actually i work at two schools it's part of my, my, uh, uh, I work at a bunch of locations. We can yeah. talk about that later, yep, yep, but, yep. Yep. um, and I, I don't mind working with kids, but I was more interested like, well, let's just learn about good communication. I guess that could be applicable to anybody. And it is, but going through that. Were you process, married at like, this oh. time? Oh yeah. I like, so, okay. Let me back up a little bit. I was engaged when I brought up the discussion with Elizabeth. Okay. Okay. Got it. Counseling. What do you think about after us getting married? I go to grad school. To grad school. Okay. So we get so were you like and, going through this class and coming home and, and doing your homework together as a couple? <laughs> no, no, no. You weren't able I mean, to like rev. I, I well, totally will. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just finished my master's in psychology and I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm going to use this stuff at the dinner table. <laughs> no, she, so I roped her into a couple of pro- projects that I had to make. You know, Appropriately for, so. Okay. And into which, you know, to her chagrin, but she was a good sport about it. And I think that I taught it to her enough. She finally kind of actually learned some of it, but cool. she had other things she was trying to do. Sure. Um, she could so, be your, your test subject all the time. No, Fair enough. No, Fair enough. Uh, all right, yeah, Elizabeth. Fact, we'll let I you actually, off the hook. I, I had to, uh, I found an alternate one time when she couldn't make it. I just like sat like a teddy bear up and taught him hilarious <laughs> my instructors thought were hilarious but you know i still it showed that i knew what i was talking about yeah amen amen uh yeah yeah so took that class and that was by far the hardest one but definitely the most practical so far in my short career as a baby counselor so i started counseling in july <laughs> so i've only been doing it for a few months now but um we can get that we can get to that in the future yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you recently posted this on Instagram and I just thought it was so good. And I kind of want you to unpack it a little bit if you're, if you're willing. So you said this, when you can stand alone by yourself without the desperate need for another person, then you'll be ready and free to share your life with another person. Number one, I want to know kind of where did that come from in you? Uh, that you were thinking about that, that you were passionate about it. And number two, can you tell us a little bit more about what that what that means, you know, for me, yeah. How about we'll start with those two. I have a lot of questions about it, but I would love for you to unpack it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So personally where it came from was, uh, I had alluded to that first year in focus being a difficult year for me. Well, I, I struggled with putting other things before God and just putting things before my own self care and my Mm. own 
you know, finding my identity in friendships or relationships and, and, and not in just seeking out myself alone. I do believe that regardless of your religion, there is a need for going out into the desert. Christians would say go out in the desert like Jesus did. Uh, some cultures might call it like a walkabout or just write a passage. Mm. Well, for me, since that's not really part of our culture in America, I needed something similar and it had to come in a unique way. So for me, my th- after my third year, or during my third year on staff, I was really finding or figuring out who I was alone. Now without okay. dating, I, did, I actively did not date during that time. Um, I had met, I would meet girls and I'd pray about it and it would usually not fall apart and I just let it go, which is good for me because a lot of times I would get caught up in, oh, they're really pretty and that's enough. Well, I had to realize and recognize that there are standards I need to set for myself. I need to respect myself more too, uh, that, and understand that not everything's going to be a good fit just because it feels good at the moment. Hmm. So, um, I, I liken it to codependency. Mm-hmm. Think a lot of people struggle with that they don't like being alone and so they will just adapt to the worldview or uh the beliefs of a of another person that they're attracted to and then and then allow that person to kind of dictate how they live their life and i don't think that's healthy right it could be right. fun in the short term but in the long term you can it can lead to resentment i see that even in, in my in my office with with clients sometimes yeah becoming somebody for some something else than you actually are for somebody in order right. to, to, you know, make them happy. And then that other person gets confused too. Like, Oh, I thought you were this person, but it's all a big lie. So mm-hmm. me but personally, I, I needed to have a few key moments happen okay. and yeah. some paradigm shifts in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's a little bit hard for me sometimes because there's a certain sense in which uh, if my husband is hurting, or is struggling, you know, you better be damn sure I'm going to be hurting too. I'm going to, I'm going to be sharing in that in some way or another. Um, and I think I struggled a little bit trying to understand codependency because I thought to a certain extent, I should be affected by the people in my life. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're talking about is that it's a dictation of, um, it's, it's almost somebody else dictating your happiness. Is that, is that fair or like dictating? Yeah, I'm more, certainly, I'm more along the lines of the, the latter there. Like yep, the former, yep. what you're talking about, you're one flesh with your husband. I right, mean, You're like, right. you are together and you feel each other's pain, but you also mm-hmm. call each other out to better, mm-hmm. to, to, to more. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And if that wasn't true, the marriage would, would, would hurt. You yeah. know, if it was just like, your existence is to make me happy. Right there's not a lot of sacrifice there, you know? And, and so that, that's certainly not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I think that you should be, you should be pained if a loved one is in pain, yep. but they shouldn't depend on you so extremely that if you don't, if you're not there for them, that they can't somehow right. recover. You're there to help and be sacrificial. I yep. think. So I think we've got um, a lot of, a lot of people that are listening that might be uh, single or in dating relationships uh, and then some that are in married relationships. Can you give some examples? I think especially for maybe our single people um, actually no, for both 
What are some examples of someone that might be struggling with this codependency that you're talking about? You know, how, how do you know, okay, I need to actually work on finding myself a bit more, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so one example I'll use is, is similar to one that I had, uh, like experiencing a breakup or something like that. Mm-hmm. If there is, and there is time for mourning, and that's, that's important because your brain needs time to rewire. Uh, and it's, re- you know, healing and amount, the amount of time it takes to move on is relative to each person, depending right. on uh, their gifts and, and their personality and things like that. If after six months, it hasn't improved, there's something probably wrong that you need to look at. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that you're so devastated about? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. at that point, you've been, you should have been able to, I think, process through what were the red flags of this relationship? What were the things that I didn't pay attention to because it was too fun that wouldn't have worked out long term anyways? You know, mm-hmm. and I, that's where I was stuck for a long time. You know, like I would go back to the same relationships over and over again, expecting a different result, which, right. you know, as we know, is kind of that's insane. insane. Yeah. 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 So, yeah coming to grip to that with that and say, no, I am going to stand up for myself against myself and my passions and actually think logically through this situation. So you can apply that to any. Yeah. Not just a breakup. I mean, so many different things work real. I mean, I just think of how many people have challenges that arise in work and it's so easy for us to kind of hold on to that wound and be frustrated by it over and over and over again, because it's actually something that we need to kind of let go of, that we need to get to the bottom of what fear is there, what anxiety is there or whatever, and kind of get to that point of, uh, I need to let it go, stand up for myself against myself. I love how you said that. That's so good. Um, What role did the people, I know, just knowing a little bit about kind of you and where you were at, I know you just had an incredible community surrounding you, uh, friendships and people and what role do you think community, especially from a psychological perspective, what role does community play for us in uh, helping us to grow, to recognize, um, you know, how, how does that affect us? You know, I resonate with the, uh, the notion of different kinds of friendship, mm. you know, friendships of utility, friendships of pleasure, and then friendships of virtue. I think a lot of people have friendships of utility and pleasure, which would be, you know, business relationships and then like things you, you, you do thought people you do stuff with, like, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Not a bad thing at all. I would say the best thing I ever did was find friendships of virtue, which happened the first time in college. So these mm-hmm. are friendships of pleasure that morphed into more that, you know, I had deep intimacy with where they were not only just there to have fun with, but they were actually there to say, to look at discrepancies in my life and say, Hey, don't you think, you would be better off if you worked on this calling me out. Well, yeah. and then people that I felt comfortable calling them out because I right. knew that I could trust. They're not going to get so defensive that, you know, that it's just going to be a one-sided thing. Right. I didn't experience that until sophomore year of college. And so I valued it so much so that everywhere I went, I would find one or two people that were a friendship of, of virtue. And then I'd also have people who, you know, because I moved around a lot as a missionary, I would stay in contact with over the phone. In yeah. fact, yesterday I talked to two of my groomsmen on the phone, who I yeah. talked to really like once every six months or so. 
mm-hmm. and like Zach Krieger, like yeah, I'd talk. He's hard to get a hold of because <laughs> he's busy. And he's doing a lot. Yeah. Um, but when I do, even if it's just for twenty minutes or so, it's it's meaningful. Sure, there is a fair amount of silliness involved in that conversation, right. but there inevitably will be at least one point where we talk about something of virtue yeah. in depth, and it's helpful to me. And God chooses to speak through those kind of friends to me. Yeah. And I hope he does the same through me to them. Yeah. Um, and I found that, at least for myself, to be the most valuable thing when it comes to this. So when I'm going through, when I was going through these you know, relationships or whatever, I had voices saying, hey, are you sure this is prudent? And it didn't go unheard. I had to be the one to make the decision and process through it, but it didn't go unheard. And so those kind of friendships, those I, I chose to surround myself with people of virtue. Right. People that were doing various things better than I was because I wanted to I wanted that to rub off on me. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking about that for many people. Uh, entering into their vocation, their spouse is one of those people. Hopefully not the sole person, hopefully not the only person. I think it's really important. You know, I found just the benefit of female friends for me. And as you're articulating, talking to two of your groomsmen yesterday, you know, that benefit of having uh, a community around you. But I think it's fair that our spouse ought to be one of those people in our lives that's challenging us, helping us to grow, etc. And, and I know I, you've done some work with John Gottman, right? Yeah. Or stud, so, studied some of John Gottman's work. Yes, the class Can you that tell elective, us about him, who he is? Oh, yeah, 100%. So the elective I took was Gottman. It was the whole class minus like one section was Gottman research. And I actually took another class on intimacy that was all Gottman, 100%. Too, and later on in the program. So the Gottmans are... It's John and Julie Gottman, they're a couple, and there's another, uh, there's others involved too, but uh, just to be brief, in the 70s and 80s, they, they began uh, what was known as the, what is known as the Gottman Institute, and it's centered out of University of Washington. They actually have a lab, which is an apartment that is hooked up to sensors and monitors, and they have uh, couples, real couples come in and live there overnight, or however long, and sure. they, they will take metrics of their what's happened happening in their body, you know, their heart rate, things like that. And they will record their conversations. It doesn't take long for a real couple to be comfortable and then get back into get into somewhat of a of a similar routine that they would have At in home. the privacy of their home. Right. And so over the last four or five decades, they've been able to accrue all of this data. And they yeah. follow up with some of these couples, I hope, hopefully, still to this day, the ones that are still together. Yeah. And they were able to find best practices on communication because of the, you know, the amount of data that they have collected. Which is just amazing, like predicting divorce yeah. rates, predicting happiness. Right. All of the, right? Right. Amazing. Yeah, the divorce rate, the, what, so they can tell by watching a couple for the first time for 30 seconds, whether or not they're gonna get divorced to 90% accuracy. That's about. absurd. Right. I mean, it's amazing. Absurd and amazing. It sounds made up. <laughs> it right? does, it sounds yes, like, it almost no sounds made up, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I say um, when, I, when I give talks on this is, you know, they've also been able to figure out kind of the weight of negativity in a relationship. Okay, say they more say, about that. 
that the minimum, regardless of what kind of relationship you're in, of positive to negative interactions mm -hmm. to maintain that relationship is five to one. Okay, say more about that. What does that mean? So when you have a negative interaction, for whatever reason, man is disposed to negativity. We're, we're a fearful creature, right? So an so example, annoyance over the dishes. Danger. Yeah, so that count as it a becomes this heavy thing. Yeah, it can turn into this really, it can turn into this beast if left unchecked of resentment. Yeah. And it's going to take a, a lot of positive interactions because those go so unnoticed for some right. reason. Right. Yeah. So you're saying it, it, we actually need five positive interactions. So some sort of interaction between a husband and a wife, uh, a touch of the hand, a smile, uh, some sort of positive interaction, five yes. of those for every one negative interaction. Right. Uh, in order to be a happy marriage, essentially. Right. right. And they would, they would say that there are masters of communication and disasters of communication. What do disasters? Disasters would be where that five to one ratio is, is backwards. More like one to one. You right. Know, it's not, it's right. not even close. The masters though, they say it's closer to 20 to one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't yeah. that make you want to be more affirming of your spouse? <laughs> yeah, actually. Like, I want to uh, text my husband right now and tell him, hey, like, you look hey. great today. You're super nice. Thanks for all that you do. You know, all the things. Give him like four in a row. All right, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, one of the other things that um, we talked about when we were first initially just talking about John Gottman and kind of our mutual um, affection for his work, you were unpacking what John Gottman labeled the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And as you were yeah. kind of talking about them, um, I think they're really applicable to people that are maybe in marriage or in dating or in any sort of relationship. So I'm wondering if you can just name uh, some of those negative patterns of communication um, to yeah. be a part of. Yeah. So for they call them the four horsemen, the apocalypse of basically of your relationship, which is the best name ever. Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> it's it's uh, there's nothing more fitting. Um, the first one I always talk about is contempt. Uh, so it's contempt, criticism, defensiveness, and turning away, which they also call stonewalling. Stonewalling. Yeah. And okay. these are very tangible. You can see them very clearly when I work with a couple or even most of my individuals, because most of my individuals that I have in here are in or have been in relationships. Sure. So they'll see that there's a correlation between these negative thought patterns or, or uh, communication patterns and probably the problem that they're in here with in the first place. Right. Contempt is, it's kind of the leader, I would say, because it's present in all the others. Contempt is that global view of the other person as lesser than you. You think you're right. You think they're wrong. Mm. You might even think they're stupid. You see this, you can see this out in public pretty easily. You know, you can see that they maybe are rolling their eyes or scoffing at each other, making fun of each other, and it's not playful. That's contempt. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, kind of uh, like throwing somebody under the bus, like throwing your your spouse yeah, under that, the bus. Yeah, that can be considered contempt because okay. it's careless because you're sure. like better. You, know, you feel right. better. Even if that, that could be a hidden feeling. You might not even know that's what you're doing. Yeah. And it yeah. seeps in. It's, 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 it's tricksy. You know, you got to be careful. It's like a spy. <laughs> yeah. You got yeah. to watch for it. And when I point it out, sometimes it's, it's very eye-opening for for a client mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. oh, oh boy yeah i do yeah that. and i think criticism seems pretty obvious but what about stonewalling uh 
What does that look like? Stonewalling is extremely tangible. And I pointed out while they're doing it and they can't help but say, dang it, I'm doing it. Dang it. (laughs) Stonewalling is that turning away motion. Let's say there is a fight happening. Typically a fight is criticism, defensiveness, uh, you know, criticism, defensiveness, defensiveness, criticism, back and forth, a volley of that, you know, between those two. Eventually one of the, of the couple is going to shut down. Yep. They might, you'll see contempt in this. They might roll their eyes and do this motion. I'm not, your listeners probably can't see me, but. They'll sit back. (sighs) They'll sit back. Yeah. And kind of almost cross their arms a little swagger bit. in there, you yeah. know, like I'm better than this. Yeah. And no longer am I even looking at you. I'm facing away from you figuratively and literally emotionally, spiritually, everything. I'm away yeah. from you. I'm yeah. not on your team. Everything yeah. you're saying is stupid. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I wish our listeners could see you because your image is like, it's so familiar um, yeah. to things that I've seen in relationships as well. There's this like, almost really, it's a turning of the turning of the shoulder, uh, this yeah. stepping, this stepping away, this it's yeah. eyes up, rolled eyes up, rolled away. away. Yep. 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 Scoffing, yep. making fun, saying little asides. It's yeah. just so ridiculous. So, okay. So right? what would you say then are some of the top priorities for couples to work on uh, in regard to communication or, you know, what are some of the top priorities, whether our listeners might be engaged or married or, uh, in their friendships, what would you say are kind of some of the top priorities to work towards to improve their relationships? So fortunately, if you, if this concept resonates with you of the four horsemen, there are antidotes to them Okay. that you can find these online. I mean, the Gottman's have their research and they keep a lot of it close to the chest, but they do share videos uh, and they're out there. You can find better explanations than the ones I've given and with strategies to, to, to combat them and be better communicators. If you're an engaged person, I, I would not strong, I cannot strongly enough recommend some sort of marriage prep. Mm-hmm. Some sort of marriage prep. If you're Catholics, it's pretty much. I think in every diocese it's uh, it's required. Yep. It's extremely important. And if you can, I would find one that, that utilizes these principles because they are evidence-based, they are time-tested, and they are best practices. And so find someone who goes through Four Horsemen. Find someone that talks about the practical elements of, of marriage because after the honeymoon phase, you're just, you're stuck with this person. And... Mm-hmm. Your, it's your choice how you proceed when things go right. not according to what you had envisioned. I would say uh, you got to pay attention to your standards. Have you even set any standards? What are, what are the green flags? What are the essentials that must be present in order for you to be with this person? Have you even thought about it? Have you even defined it for yourself? This, again, goes back to what I said. You have to know who you are by right. yourself first. Right so that you know what you want, so that it's not just a pretty face that you're with, but you're with the whole package. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what are the red flags, the non-essentials, the, 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 uh, the ones that you absolutely do not want? What are your standards for those? Mm-hmm. If, someone, if you're used to being manipulated, don't be with a person like that. You got to know what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And there's also the, there's maybe, I guess I wouldn't call them yellow flags. It could be yellow flags that are like things you can live with, but they're not important. 
I hesitate to say that because I think a lot of people will treat red flags as yellow flags because mm. maybe it'll change. Oh, I can live with that. What if you can't long term? Right. What if that just harbors more and more resentment in your relationship? Right. And this will happen yeah. to over half of people, of couples. Right. It's really right. sad. Those people yeah. don't do the prep work. They want to bypass that because it's fun. Yeah. In the marriage vows, you hear good times and in bad, sickness and health. Well, no one wants to talk about sickness and bad times. They, they're yeah. happy. It's a fun day. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You yeah. got to talk about it. And you should talk about it before you decide to commit your entire life to get to each other. My husband used to drink 2% milk and I drank skim. And I was not sure if it was a yellow flag or a red flag for a while. We had to kind of work <laughs> through that, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's so that's so good. Tabor, I could, I could like unpack all of these things for a long time. I think there's so many, um, so many elements and tips and, and we just, just, I'm grateful for you sharing your wisdom. Uh, and I would love to have you back on the podcast for another episode with, uh, for a oh, couple sure. other topics as well. Um, but I, so I always tell people, this is really a place with more questions than answers. Um, it's really been, and you know, this in your role as a counselor and your work as a counselor, it's really been the fruit of people asking good questions in my life that I have, uh, often grown and been challenged and thought about something in a new way. And so I'm curious uh, if there's a question that you have been pondering lately. Uh, it can be silly. It can be big, small, anything in between. Um, but just a question to kind of let our listeners sit with for a while uh, that they might uh, be able to wrestle with and think about as well. Anything yeah. come to mind? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the big things I've been studying and trying to learn more about uh, is uh, our relationship today with technology. Mm. Yeah. So hear me out. I spent, I'm 31 years old, spent half of my childhood outside playing, you know, being in nature and exploring that way, learning balance, learning how to move, how to think, how to, how to explore in reality. And then the other half, was spent in virtual reality on the internet and with video games and things like that. And then today phones and, and VR is very, very much uh, a growing um, uh, technology as well. Yeah. So yeah. when I read an article about how tech companies are using psychology to hook children and huh. it was very alarming. This yeah. is psychology today, if you want to look it up. And after that, I started looking at the footnotes and all the sources and I started reading them and I started reading their sources and I started really learning about this because I think that you and I, in our generation, people, you know, millennials, let's say, that we are, we became these guinea pigs in a social experiment that people didn't even know they made because we just got unfettered access to technology and we just we we developed it we made it better but there was no warning for our parents for what this was it's huh. you see these huge disconnects between sure. parents and their kids today like why doesn't so-and-so want to do this and that it's because they were not just raised by parents and peers like you were they were raised by the internet right and they they speak a whole different language than you wow. So what is our relationship with technology? Yeah. That is a good question. Yeah. Well, Tabor, thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for all of the wisdom that you shared. Hey, people can find you on Instagram. I know at uh, Carlson Counseling. Um, yes. I would love for people to go kind of follow along with the work that you're starting there. 
um, it's it's just been really uh, enlightening so far and uh, really top notch. So thank you for giving us your time. Be assured you're going to be back on this podcast if that's okay with you. Right. I'd love to have you Absolutely. back on. Um, thank you so much. God bless you. You can follow us at SF Diocese or connect with me at Emily M. Leadham on Instagram as well or Facebook. I'm there too. Thank you so much. God bless you. We'll see you next time.